Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. Um, in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Naya, we have the model, the flood, um, and... Um, the idea of the marble could seem like a, uh, a, a singular phenomenon that happened once and a world event that doesn't really have relevance anymore. Maybe the concept that, you know, it says if you see a rainbow, it's a sign that Hashem would technically bring a marble and maybe arouse us to do teshuva. But this concept of like the whole world going under underwater as a dis- like to destroy the world and because of negative because of negative things like this is not something that necessarily um, we have to fear is going to happen again um, and so what is the relevance of the model to us in uh, 2023 so um, in Hasidus we learned that the model represents more than just the the floodwaters represent more than just like that one time flood, but rather it's a certain state that the world is in. It's, it's a it's a state that the world is in, and it's a certain headspace that we enter as well um, in our day to day lives. That's the mabel, and that the mabel has a purpose. It's not there just as for the sake of destruction, but rather for the sake of purification. So we're going to explore this idea today about what is our mabel, like what is the state that sort of drowns us that we feel like we're gasping a little bit. And then what is the purpose of that to um, allow us? How do we how do we become purified through the process of everyday life? Right. And, and, and I think that that redefining of the model makes sense when we, you know, especially if we're not, God forbid, looking at God as this like wrathful, vengeful God who's just trying to like, you know, in his uh, <laughs> anger at, at the immorality that was rampant on earth you know it was just like let me just destroy the whole thing right it's not just this punitive thing but there's obviously a purpose there and there's something there's some sort of intention um and specifically using that method of um of destruction absolutely so we're going to jump right into the mimer today and the mimer actually opens up with a pasuk from shir hashirim which is a love song between hashem and the jewish people um i believe it's from Perichas. All right, so the Mimer opens up with a Pasuk from Shir Hashirim. And the Pasuk is, Mayim Rabim es ha'ava. The mighty waters are not able to extinguish the love. The Naharais la'yishtafua, and the, like, the rivers won't put it out. In yitin ish as kolhain beisayb ava. If a man would give all the treasures of his house for this love, baizyubaizulo, we would surely mock him. Um... And so basically it's saying that, obviously speaking about the love of Hashem and the Jewish people, that no matter how great the waters are to extinguish, that come and attempt to extinguish the love, in general, we often will refer to love as something that's like a fire, a flame. Um, it has the, the passion of a flame, the heat of a flame, the, the light of a flame. That is, that is the feeling of love. And what extinguishes fire is water. Um, But it says that no matter how much water you put on the love, that love is not extinguishable. The love between Hashem and the Jewish people is not extinguishable. It's not able to be put out. Obviously, since we're speaking about the marble, these mighty waters may perhaps be represented by the marble, as we're going to explore in a minute. So he named Mayim Rabbim, he called Tardes HaParnashta. They are all the worries of the anxiety of making a, li- a living. And our thoughts re- uh, regarding living in this world. So he's emphasizing over here the, the anxieties that we have about making a living, about Parnassa, uh, money matters. But And then he also goes on to say, and any other, um, any other, sort of thoughts that we have that are very involved in the world. So I think that for some of us, we obviously relate to being anxious about making a living and money and worrying how we're going to get by in this expensive world. Um, and But for other people, maybe your being thought process is not about um, it's not about money. Maybe you're blessed that you don't have to think about it. Maybe that's, that's just not your personality. But whatever, what, wherever your headspace is, that's sort of distracting you from focusing on your love of God or your, or your godly experience. It's your, 
it's those things. It could be worries. We all have the things that we worry about. Health, like as mentioned, money, maybe just regular, uh, all, all other sorts, children, all the things that we worry about that are a result of the fact that we live in a physical world. So the, the just like the basic, I would say we're not, I, I don't think we're necessarily going to be talking about like deep-rooted anxieties. It sounds like we're talking about just like the fact that you're a human being on this planet, in this world, in a very physical world where our lives are dictated by the physicality of this world. Automatically things come up in our lives that try that distract us from our godly focus. Yeah, I feel like this is a very real part of being an adult in the world. Like I feel like just just living day-to-day life and just taking care of like all the things you need to take care of as a human being can be very consuming <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, and, it, and it does feel like we're set up um, to be very distracted um, and very consumed by very mundane things. Absolutely. And, and like, I think we all maybe can think about periods in our lives where maybe we were able to be more focused on our relationship with Hashem because we were in more sheltered environments and not necessarily as responsible for day-to-day stuff either. You know, for a lot of people, you have a period in your youth, you're in seminary, you're in yeshiva, you have this like enclave of spirituality and you're not focusing on, you don't need, you're not forced to focus so much on your physical needs, your food is provided for you, you're not, you're maybe not focusing on making money. And so you're in that headspace where you are able to um, really foster your spiritual side. And then when you enter into the world, into the regular working world, into the being an adult, into having a family, all of a sudden, all these things come up and you might feel like, hey, do I still have a connection to God? Like we yearn for that, those times when we were able to be like really invested spiritually and not have all these things come up. So it seems like these things are detracting from our relationship with Hashem. That, that's, that's what it feels like to us when we're, when we're in it. Right. Um, the im calls that, but despite all these things that come up, all these thoughts and all these distractions, it's not able to extinguish the, in, like the internal deep love that we have for Hashem. Which love are we talking about? The hidden love that is within every Jewish in every Jewish soul, in their nature, um, it's, a, it's, it's the level of, on the level of their nefesh ele kiss. So what is the nature of our godly soul? The nature of our godly soul is this fire that we spoke about before. This fire that is constantly, fire is always going upward, constantly reattracted to its source, as Lysidus explains in numerous places. So a, a fire is always longing to reunite with, a, with the bigger fire, which in this case is godliness. The soul is longing to reunite with its source, which, which is Hashem. So this, this um, latent love, Ava Mesoteris, it's this latent love that's within us. But um, so generally water can be put out with fire. I mean, excuse me, fire can be put out with water. Um, and that, that's the way it works. But the, the word that will be used for this love is that it's not a regular fire, but rather this is a flintstone. Our Misham is like a flintstone. So the flintstone constantly contains within it that potential for fire. And even if it's submerged underwater for years and years and years, you can still get the fire out of it. The fire is still there in potential, which means that it's there. And so there's fire within the flintstone, whether it's been submerged in the water or not. So the it's this is a type of fire that is untouchable at its at its core by by water. Um, so which is well, continuing on a little further. This is the godly soul that before it actually came down into this world, before it came down into a physical body, it was sitting and basking in God's rays. And it was like ultimately connected with God. It was completely and totally united with Hashem. And therefore, even after it comes down into a physical body and it busies itself with physical things, 
which we just refer to as the mighty waters, all these distractions, these things that seem to negate this love. Despite this, it's not able to be extinguished. Um, and it's not able to, because it's constantly in the state of love and longing to be included within God. The Adraba, and on the contrary, through it being submerged into these mighty waters that we referred to before, it's able to achieve an even greater level of love than it would have if it didn't come down to earth. So what we've said over here is that the soul, its origins are in heaven, and when it's in heaven, before it comes down to earth, it's basking in God's rays, it's experiencing extreme revelations of godliness. Then it comes down into this world and it's submerged underwater. The soul is no longer, I, I think the, the visual that we can think about is for a human being going underwater is not, it's, it's not our natural state. So we're in, for a lot of people have a lot of, uh, are in a state of fear whenever you're underwater because you can't breathe. You're not receiving, you're not receiving your life source. Um, and you know, you need to get up and get a, get a gasp of air, but you're in a state of discomfort because you're not in your, you're not receiving from your, um, we're not in a space where we are, can receive our energy force. And when the soul comes down into the world, it's no longer, it's kind of gasping for air. It's not receiving in this open way the, the, it's oxygen, which is godliness because it's not having it in a revealed way. But we're saying that that's not entirely true, that muscle. It is it is still in a state of love. It is still in a state of connection with Hashem, but it's not experiencing it in an open way. And further, more than that, even though it's not experiencing it in an open way, there is an advantage to the soul to come down to earth. Hashem wouldn't send the soul on this mission down to earth to submerge it in these waters if it wasn't for a purpose. And this is what we're going to explore. The fact that you need to leave yeshiva. You need to leave seminary. You need to get out of that safe, oxygenated bubble because that's the purpose. And, and there's going to be an advantage to doing that. That however pleasant it is and however spiritual it feels to be submerged in the light of Hashem, it's still not the ultimate state. And the ultimate state involves going down. And that right, I think an what's powerful here. Yeah, I think what's powerful here is that's not just that there's a purpose in it, like some sort of grand purpose for the world or, you know, for the purpose of creation, but even for the soul itself, like for the soul's spiritual experience, it's going to, there's something going to be something greater about that, which I think is very counterintuitive, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now we're going to tie it back into the parsha. nekramenayach. <clears throat> This level of Mayim Rabbim, which what do we say Mayim Rabbim is? Mayim Rabbim are the mighty waters that are distracting us from our connection with Hashem, the anxieties, the things we're, we're waiting, we're like waking up at night thinking about, all those things that take us away, that, that remove our focus basically, and, and that our minds are occupied with during during our regular day-to-day -day living. But what are they called? They're called Mayim Nayach. They're called the waters of Nayach. That's what, the, you know, the, the Mabel was named after Nayach, Mayim Nayach. Um, and and where, where do we see this? It's a pasuk in Yeshaya. It says, "Asher nishpati That Hashem promised that He's the same way He promised never to bring the waters of Neach again on the land. Um, so too, I I promise the same way I promised that I'm never going to bring a mabel again. So too, I promised from being that I will not be angry with you and I won't re rebuke you. That's what that's the pasuk in Yeshaya. Um, so that's where we get this phrasing of me nayach. What does it mean, me nayach? What is this concept of nayach? Kihine nayach hu necha derucha. Nayach is this, this level of necha derucha, a calmness of spirit. Shahu bechina shvisa, which is the, um, the, the idea of resting. Like a person who's resting after his work. Now, wait a second. Didn't we just say that? The Mayim Rabbim are anxieties and worries and distractions. So how are we calling them main Nayach? Nayach is calmness. Nayach is peace. So, you know, connected to our Menucha. So how does this, how does this make sense? It seems to be contradictory. 
Um, okay, so he's going to talk a little bit over here. I'm, I'm not going to go into it inside, but he's going to discuss that. Actually, Hashem calls Neyach twice. It says Neyach, Neyach. And that there are two levels of, of calm. There's the calm, there's the lower level of calm and the upper level of calm. Um, and it's also connected to the idea that there's Shabbos Tata and Shabbos Ilah, the lower level of Shabbos and the higher level of Shabbos. The lower level of Shabbos is a Shabbos as we experience it now. And then the higher level of Shabbos is Yem Shakura Shabbos, Shabbos as we will experience it when Mashiach comes, when it is constant, when we're constantly in a state of Shabbos. So that's just like a, a, a side note that there's different levels of of peace that we can achieve. There's the lower level of peace, and then there's the ultimate level of peace, which will be achieved when Mashiach comes. Um, we're going to ask a question that we asked at the beginning. Does God just destroy without purpose? Hashem doesn't destroy without purpose. Additionally, why did God specifically choose to bring a flood? It's such a weird punishment. It's like, okay, he, it, it, God has killed many people in, at other points in history. And this is a unique occasion, the flood. It's, it's the only time that we have this, that we have this specific form of, of destruction. So obviously there's something intentional in the flood, right? If the purpose, if the intent of the Mabel was only to destroy the bad guys, why is it necessary to make this great noise? Why is all this drama? It almost sounds like he's saying, like, why is God being so dramatic over here that he needs to bring this massive flood? <laughs> and it also ends up killing all the animals, right? It's like it's a it's a very it's a lot. Um, Drastic. <laughs> yeah, Hashem could choose to destroy the world like this in an instant. And it's not necessary to have a mobile. He could bring a plague. He could just cause people to God. He can do whatever he wants. So what, obviously, the fact that it's a mobile, there's an intention within that. But the mobile came to actually purify the earth. It wasn't just to get rid of the people that were being bad, but rather it was a purifying process. The world was filled with this, um, with this um, chamas, with this badness, with this um, it's tr- trickery. It's, it's corruption. Corruption. And um, it, was, it was very, very bad. Um, the and it was like very dirty. It was almost like the world became dirty. The world at its core was rotten at its core. That the, that the the badness of the people infiltrated into the earth. And like we see, even the animals had to be killed because it wasn't the the, the badness didn't just stay within the people. It actually was like completely embedded within the world. And therefore, it required a purification. And how do we purify things in Judaism? We have a mikvah. We use water. And this is why the mabal came dafka specifically. That it's the element of water. To purify that which was an impure. Which is like the example of a mikvah. We know that a mikvah needs to be a kosher mikvah. It needs mem sa'a. It needs 40 sa'a, which is a measurement of water. The Mabel came and its intention was to purify the whole land. And he doesn't quote it right here, but the Mabel was 40 days. And that that number 40 corresponds to the 40 Sa'a, which are in a mikvah. So it's this um, level 40 of water that's coming and it's purifying the earth. So again, it's not just a punishment, but it's a purifying, it's a refining process. Through the mobile, the whole entire world is being refined. And this is why the Mayim Rabbim are called Meinayach. How is it that we achieve a deeper state of peace? Maybe it's not that the waters themselves are peaceful, but rather that they bring about a state of peace. Because purification is a, being in a purified state is being in a peaceful state. And having uh, and becoming closer with Hashem is, is is the ultimate state of peace. So the waters are not just random, but 
they are a purifying process and therefore they're called peaceful waters because they bring us into this enlightened higher state. So how does this happen? How is it that regular life distractions, worrying about making a living, all the other worries that we have, how do they bring us to peace? How does that work? So the so the the shibud, the enslavement of needing to make a living. That's basically what it's saying. Like the 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 state, the, the fact that we're so um, that we're that we're dependent on it. That uh, I think a lot of people will experience this, where like you feel sort of enslaved to your job. You don't really have a choice to leave because it's necessary for you. And sometimes you feel forced to take the specific job over another job because again, it's going to make uh, it's going to enable me to live a more prosperous life, an easier life or even just get by. So whatever it is that where we feel like we're not really, I think that's maybe this element of Shibud where we don't really have the space to make our own choices because of life circumstances that we're sort of pushed into certain directions and pushed into certain lifestyles where maybe in fact, I would rather sit and learn Torah all day, but I don't feel like I can, I, I can survive this way. So these basic um, survival things sort of push us into, into certain life choices. So the Shibara Parnasa is also called the Mainayak. So what is the Mayim Rabin? It is these worries, these daily worries, making a living, getting by. Um, that um, our rabbis teach us that Avram was sort of given a choice. Either there's two purifying processes that you can that are that are being given to, to people. Either there's Ganhenim. Um, as it is explored a lot in, in Hasidic thought, is that Hashem doesn't put us in Gehenna to punish us again, that, that we should feel tortured, that we're being punished for our sins. That's not what Gehenna is. The purpose of Gehenna is that the soul is returning to, it's to the place where it's going to, like we mentioned previously, where it's going to receive this vast godly revelation. And it may not be after living on earth and being submerged in physicality, it might not be tuned into the right frequency. It might not be a, a, clean, a clean vessel to receive this high level of godly revelation. It's like you wouldn't serve a beautiful meal on dirty dishes. That would sort of defeat the purpose. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work out very well. Um, the meal wouldn't taste very good because the dishes were dirty and grimy and have all this old stuff on them caked on, right? So you're not going to serve the meal on the dirty dish. So we're about to receive this amazing revelation in Gan Eden. The person first, the soul needs to be cleansed. It needs to be purified. And that is the purpose of Gan Eden. Is, excuse me, not Gan Eden. That is the purpose of Gehenna. Gehenna, again, it's not a punishment to punish us that like, oh, we've been bad, but rather it, it purifies the soul to enable it, to prepare it to receive from Gan Eden. And the other, the other option that Avram Avinu was given um, instead of Gehenna is Shibud, is labor, like working in the sense, I think the, I, I guess subservience would be maybe the word of Shibud. Um, but again, it's being in this position of sort of being enslaved where your focus is forced away from where you might choose for it to be. Um, and, and that well, is... Literally, it's a reference sorry, to... Yeah. Literally, it's a reference to slavery and Mitzrayim. To, to right? Mitzrayim, exactly. Right. Yeah. In this case, it's a, it's a reference to slavery and Mitzrayim. But, um, where that, that's why, again, the, 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 the slavery and Mitzrayim was called the... Um, was called the the what's it called the the melting pot before you before you can make the the iron right before you can form your iron dishes you need to melt it down so that's what it was it, it's that similar idea of where you need to go through some sort of like destructive process some sort of breaking down we we speak about this a lot because it is this idea of like bittle before having something new and having something better and achieving a higher and, and achieving higher revelation first there needs to be some sort of breaking down and that's what that's what living in the world does it does to our souls and even to our spirits where it's like, I feel a little bit broken down about my relationship with Hashem and it makes me feel a certain distance and I'm so busy with other things. Um, but this is the reason it's called Meinayach 
is because its purpose is to allow us to then receive the higher levels of revelation. Um, let me see where we continue over here. Okay, so... Um, okay, the Atta, and now, in, in the current world, this is what is saying, um, in the current world where he's living in the 1800s in Russia, but I think to a large extent, we're still in Gaulis, and so this still, this still applies. Every person is, has these worries and needs to devote time in working on making a living, and again, being busy with worldly matters. And I think we could interpret this as wherever all those things that hold our minds, all those things, I guess, um, we talk about the mental load. That's, that's what turned, I think that's what this is talking about, the mental load, all the million things that you need to hold space for in your head that don't allow you to um, think about other things. So because I think that this happens to a lot of people, let's say this is something that happens to mothers very often is like, you'll lose your creativity. And why is that? Because you're holding so many things in your head. So you don't have the space for like just that creative freedom, that, that space to allow yourself to empty your mind and allow a new idea to come in and to think about that. And so that can be very difficult to, to, to deal with if, if it's something that you feel like you're missing in your life. Like if it's something that you enjoyed before and then you feel like you don't have it so much because your brain is holding on to so many things. I think that could be a good muscle for this, where it's like, I want to be focusing on godliness, but instead my brain is holding on to so many other things. Where do I find that space? How do I make that space to overcome that? And, and do I still even have a connection? I think, again, that goes back to, I, I think that, that motherhood example can be a good example because people feel like, oh, am I still the same person? Do I still have these, these abilities because I'm not engaging in them and I'm not, they're, they're not, they're not a, a they're not present in my life right now. I don't see them right now. So it seems like they're getting lost and it seems like it's not there anymore. Um, they're, they're like these Mayim Rabbim, these mighty waters. Um, that are called that they are this level of that they are ultimately going to lead us to peace. Because through these Mayim Rabbim, the soul elevates to a much higher level than it was before, before it came down into this world. Because back then, before it came down into the world, it was only accessing a ray of God's life, of God's light. And this is what Chazal are referring to when they say that it is better to have one hour of teshuva and good deeds in this world from all of the life in Ilam Haba. Why is it that one hour in this world is better than all of the light in Ilam Haba? Because it has the advantage of the it has the advantage of the advantage of light that comes from darkness. The um which is the element of transforming and of, of subduing the sitra and transforming the darkness into light. So why is it that there's an advantage here is because you can say, I'm going to jump back on the mashal that I referred to previously, right? So you have a person very creative and has lots of great ideas and you enter into a certain state of parenting, motherhood, whatever it is, doesn't even have to be that, just work. Maybe you have another, a job that's very demanding that's not related to your creative pursuit and your brain becomes so busy with that and you don't have the space anymore for that creativity and you feel lost and you feel like, oh, I don't have it anymore. Um, and then the kids grow up, there's more time Obviously, you know, there's still problems and they're still, they're still taking up space in your head, but maybe not all those little nitty gritties that are constantly flooding your consciousness and not allowing you to have space for anything else, right? So maybe there's a little more space. What has happened now is that potentially you can reach a much deeper state of that creativity 
A, because you missed it. B, because you've been going through such an enriching life experience all this time that you're, maybe your inner world is just so much more developed. So you're able to like now have your creativity will take on a whole new, a whole new life than, than it has had before. Right. Like that's, that's the, the advantage of the light that comes after the darkness. So there's like a dark spell, a dark period where I feel disconnected from myself. But because I felt this disconnect from myself, when I when I when I'm reunited with it, I'm able to go so much deeper in myself. Because it's almost like, first of all, just the feelings of despondency from being far hit us much deeper than when we were th- when they were there all along. Right. You almost discover, that- like you almost discover who you are when when it's taken away from you, and you're like, oh wow, that was such a big part of my identity, and I didn't even realize how essential that was to me as a human being. Exactly. And you're able to explore like these depths of yourself that you don't, that you wouldn't have been forced to go into if it wasn't taken away from you. Yeah. Right. Like it's easier to stay superficial when you're not, when you're, when you don't feel like it's a part of yourself, when you're not, when you're not recognizing how deeply you're, it is one with you. And then I think it's so fascinating. Yeah. That you're, you're recording a podcast about this right now with your daughter singing in the background with yes <laughs> live yes, exactly. um, uh, <laughs> exhibit of this live this experience <laughs> yeah yes it's like i i'm like even like right now like i'm constantly like refocusing i'm like trying to listen to what she's saying for some reason because it's funny she's supposed to be sleeping and instead she's talking in her crib so like definitely like a part of my mind is being pulled away and i'm like i keep on pulling back but like yeah definitely live distractions but yeah a hundred percent i think like that the, again, the, the appreciation that we have for these, for, for let's say this part of ourselves. And in this case, obviously we're talking about our spiritual self. So like the appreciation that we have for our souls after we've sort of been missing our soul for a little while is much deeper. And he's going to talk about how we access that a little bit. How, how can we access? Cause, cause it's easy to say, oh yeah. So, so I think this is, this is, I'm finding this muscle relevant right right now, and I'm I'm finding that it's actually like it's 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 fleshing itself out. I think something that is difficult for people is okay. So then, once I'm in a state where I am able to reengage, how do I reignite that again? How do I get back in touch with it when I have the headspace for it? And similarly here, it's like okay, so I feel so far from God. How do I reignite that connection when I have the space to um, connect with Hashem? because I've been so distracted. So because I feel so disconnected, it could be hard for me to, to trigger the connection again. So we know the flint, we know the fire is there. It's in the Flintstone. How do I strike the Flintstone to bring the fire out? Like what is that action that, or the, or the meditation in this case, that really allows us to reignite the flame? We said the flame is higher. It's deeper. It's better. It's a better flame than we had before. But I think that's, I think that's the big question for people is, Okay, it's there, but how do I access it? I think there's one more point. Yeah. I think there's one more point about um, how those distractions, those like mundane um, preoccupations in the world, how that can, how could that possibly, you know, bring us to a a deeper place? Um, There's actually like a sicha from Chelek Olive that, it's like very short, it's like a page, (laughs) but it basically talks about this mimer from Tarar and it says that, um, so, like, because we, we brought this metaphor before of the mikvah, right? The marble's like a mikvah um, that's purifying us, right? And that, that that water also represents the these preoccupations of the world. So, like, what's the link between the mikvah and these preoccupations? Like, like what's sort of the parallel there? Um, and we have this this concept that a mikvah is all about like complete bittel, right? Complete, like, like literally, you're being like immersed in something and like you you become totally swallowed up in that reality. Um, and you would see in the word, like the word um, uh, tevila is the same wor- same letters as habitel, right? It's like the same letters sort of symbolizing this idea that when you're immersing in the water, there's this this total um, like nullification, total um, um, like just becoming absorbed in something else beyond you. So the parallel to these preoccupations in the world is that they almost like because I think again with water yeah you're, you're forced to because because you can't breathe so it's like mm-hmm. there's this this very literal sense of like 
oh, I'm being totally absorbed in this thing. I, I have mm. nothing. I have no independence. Right. right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, so I think similarly with these with these like um, these like uh, mundane uh, preoccupations that just like swallow us up in the world like what they do like again if you're like in tune to what's happening is like you're losing yourself right like we said like you feel the sense of like loss of control loss of identity right and if like we're able to really like tap into what the potential in that experience it's that it's giving us that sense of bittle right that sense of like letting go of myself so that i can receive something much greater and something much bigger um and, and then and it's only and all those like sort of worries and, and anxieties of the world are all there just for that purpose just to give us that experience of like losing that control losing that identity, losing that sense of self um so that we can ultimately be able to like be open to something much much deeper all right so um so 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 like we said we're, we're we, we are we're this is it's purposeful and we're trying to get to something deeper how do we how do we trigger that right so um Um, when you're busy the whole day, like we said, your life is totally subsumed. You're, you're totally just like, you have to give up all of yourself and you're totally busy. With physical things, with worries about that they're called darkness, but you take a pause. But then afterwards you come back and you dive in. End of your day, you're davening mincha, mayrev, or the next morning, you're davening chakras. How there's no blade of grass below that doesn't have a angel above um, that is enlivening it. That is tell it tell uh, literally it says that is hitting it and telling it to grow. But what is that? What is that referring? Which are the mazales that channel the the life force into all of this world? Um, so basically, that there, the idea is that Hashem channels His energy into this world through a sort of seder hashdalshlus, through a an evolution of different um, mazales, spheres then into angels and lower angels until the energy is diluted enough to be able to be absorbed by the physical world. That it's not that the godly energy will um, just like combust when it comes into contact with the physical world, but rather that it should be able to be um, filtered down so that the physical world can handle the greatness of this energy. It goes through this process. But basically the point is that by the time the physical energy reaches this world, it's very far removed from God. So the energy that is that is obvious in this world, the energy that is giving life to this world, is a very external energy to Hashem. It's only a array of array of array of array, or if you're going to talk about it in the context of the king and his officers, or the president and the people who work under the president, and each of these people have six assistants, and the assistant has an assistant, and the assistant to that person has an assistant. And if you want to get in touch with the king, you have to go through this entire chain of command, which is very far removed from the king. Right? So that's that's the meditation over here, that the world itself is so far removed from God himself. Um, ultimately, all of these angels, sarim, different levels of godliness received from Hashem's machus. That's where Hashem, that's where the, the um, energy that um, for the world comes from is from the level of malchus, malchus kalelamim, that his um, kingship is king over the whole world, the whole world, that it brings the entire world into existence, from ayin to yesh, from nothingness into something. But even malchus is only a ziv of shchina of Hashem. Malchus is the lowest of the ten spheres. And even in Malchus itself, it's we're only receiving from the lowest level of Malchus. So this entire meditation is basically um, for us to realize how far removed the physical world is from God. Um, from that it's only the ray of the ray of a ray when it comes to God's essence. 
kaviyachal, so to speak. Shehum b'pchinas ein seif mamish, which is as Hashem's essence is this level of ein seif. Hayahay v'viyiyah. He was as and will always be believed shinoi mamish, which means without any chin at all, which means that the creation of the world could not have affected God, which means that God himself at his essence is totally, utterly removed from the world. And the world only receives like a, a slight ray of godliness. These ideas we could discuss for hours and hours, and we're not going to get into them at length. But I think the intention of the meditation is for us to really um, sort of take a few moments to feel how far removed we are from Hashem. How far removed, not we are, sorry. How far removed this physical world is from God. And what is the context again? The context is that we're talking about how our minds are so busy all day with this physical world. Right? So our minds are constantly busy with, you know, the cleanliness of our homes and making the money and preparing the food. And meanwhile, where is the source of all this stuff? The source of all this stuff is just a ray of 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 a ray of, a ray of godliness. So far removed from the source. So So after you've thought about this all, but Aimekadas with like a deep thinking, really putting, and he's, we, we're using the word das over here because for meditation, you need to really translate this into your life, right? So what does that mean to translate this meditation into your life? I would think would be to take the thing that you're currently preoccupied with. So let's say you're busy with, I don't know, doing, doing your taxes or something like that. And you start to think, what, what is the source of this, of this money? Or you're busy with, again, something, some, some repairs in your home or any, looking any of these other, looking for a new apartment. That's what you're, that's, that's, that's what, what you're going for me. <laughs> <laughs> or again, an element of your business and you're trying and you start to think for a minute, Hey, so, so what is this? What is this worry? Really? This worry is something that is so far removed from the truth of the universe from the truth of, of reality, from the truth of God, right? So that's what, I think that's what it means. Das means making a connection to what's going on in your life. Not thinking about this about the random blade of grass outside because that's not going to have an impact. But thinking about it as it relates to what, what, what it is that you're actually, what you're actually going through right now. Tisara, what will it arouse within you? Tisara nafshei bevchinas avavachuka nefla'a karishbe eish? It will arouse within you this extreme longing and love like a like a flame to leave from the darkness the helem and the and the distraction the the hiddenness hagashmi that the physical world is and only to cling to Hashem. so the elevation the soul gets is really from this moment in this moment, this this one moment during davening means you're going to go back to to the distractions later. But this is what I think what we're talking about yafasha achas. It's better one moment in in this world because this moment, this feeling that the person gets in this moment, where I realize how so much of my day is preoccupied with silliness, with something that is so far removed from God, and that there is a true God there that I just have this immense longing to connect with him himself and not be so busy with all of this silliness. And I just like, there's this moment where I feel like I just want to leave all of this and connect with him himself. That is that moment of a deep, that feeling is deeper than any feeling that the neshama feels in Gan Eden. It's the feeling that a person has, again, if we go into go into an example that's maybe relevant to us. If there's a couple that is married for a long time and again, in like the very habitual routine of life and constantly just like doing stuff and sending shopping lists and you get into that space where where a relationship can become very functional and where the focus is on just like silly things. And then in all of a sudden you have you have a realization like I look through, through all my let's say, look through all your messages and see like everything is just about like such silly mundane things. And you recognize how far that is from like the essence of what your relationship is about. And in that moment, you have this longing to go to the, to the core of that relationship. You have this feeling of, I just want to like unite with this person, not on this superficial level, but on a deep core level. 
I want to leave all this other stuff behind. So that meditation is allows us to leave. And it's like, okay, so you have all this stuff distracting you and it's bothering you that it's distracting you. You know that it's mundane, but we don't really know that it's mundane because we haven't meditated on the source of what this, of what this mundanity really is. So it's taking the time to, to recognize really the silliness of the silliness. And then through that, arousing a feeling of, I want truth. I had enough of the silliness. And how is tomorrow going to look different? I'm not sure it necessarily will. Maybe there will be a little bit more of where, uh, in other places in Chassidus it discusses this. In fact, um, I think in a Mayim Rabbim of the Rebbe, late, many years later, he discusses this idea where our business can be yagia kapecha. It's supposed to be the work of our hands instead of the work of our minds. So we're supposed to be, you know, living the physical life just with our physical bodies and our headspace should really be with godliness. So maybe, in fact, you're able to, that's a very high level. Obviously here we're talking to the person who is distracted, but maybe a little bit more incorporate some higher level of thinking into my day instead and make my work be a little bit more of the work of my hands. Or maybe set aside more time in your day in, in whatever way that you can, maybe figuring out a method of delegating, of delegating some of these things that you're so busy thinking about in order to achieve that connection that you're, that you are desiring, but maybe you don't even do that. And still that moment of longing is a worthwhile moment. Still that moment of longing is an elevation for the soul. So, and and what is it that we're desiring? What is it that we, when we say that we're desiring to connect with Hashem, what is it that we are desiring? We're not desiring to go back to Gan Eden. We're not desiring to go back to the lower level of Gan Eden, and not even to the highest levels of Gan Eden. Because those are only rays of light. When it talks about Gan Eden, it says that what, are, what is the pleasure there? It's just from a ray of the Shrina. Rather, what is it that we're desiring? But rather to connect with God, not with godliness, not with spiritual revelation, but rather to be utterly included within God, to we're yearning for Hashem himself, to be included within God's very essence. Um, like the Zayar says, to hug the king. To literally just connect with the king himself. And what is this level of love called? This level is called teshuva. We think of teshuva as repentance, but really, what, what does it mean, repentance? What is it, where, are we, where are we repenting from? Where are we returning from? We're returning from longing for external things and to longing for the essence. We're, re, we're rerouting the relationship back from just being mundane to actually wanting you and seeing you yourself, Hashem. That's, that is the action of tshuva over here. Um, where does this come from? Where does this feeling come from? It comes specifically from the darkness. It's only because we were busy with the world and with the, with this, with the nothingness of the world. Because the advantage of light is seen specifically in darkness. And this is level of love is what is the level of with all of your being. It's completely and totally limitless. That it comes specifically from the opposite, which is the darkness. Um, so basically, what we're saying over here is the soul in Ganeda, before it comes down, it's having an enjoyable spiritual experience. It's having an elevated spiritual experience. So it doesn't realize that anything is wrong. It doesn't recognize that it's not seeing the person himself. Not the person himself, excuse me, God himself. In the mashal, like we said before, right? So sometimes, very often, people, after they've been in a relationship for a while, that's when they like recognize, oh, this has become mundane, and that arouses a desire to reconnect with the person. Now, if we went back ten years earlier, while they were dating, so while they were dating, there was a relationship, 
and it felt exciting. It felt very glamorous. It felt there was like an intense, there were intense feelings of love. Maybe like you really like the person you're constantly thinking about them. So it wasn't just this mundane sending back and forth shopping lists. Did you pick up the kids? Did you do this, that, right? So there was none of that mundanity there. But at the same time, you wouldn't want to go back there because the depth of the relationship wasn't there either. You didn't know that the depth of the relationship wasn't there because you were blinded by the ziv. You were blinded by the ray, right? Everyone's on showing themselves in a certain way. That's, that's, that's how we act when we're dating or in the early stages of a relationship, we showed our better sides and we present ourselves in a certain way. So it feels good and it feels like it's right. And I don't realize that maybe I'm not actually connecting to the essence of the person. And it's okay for that for that time in the relationship, right? Like it's, it's normal and it's fine. But the truth is that you aren't connecting to the depth and the essence of the other person. What allows us to connect to the essence of the other person is, I know that there's a spark there. I know there's a love there here. And we're going through a little period of where that love is not so expressed, where things have become a little distracted. Then from that darkness, I can be like, hey, Am I actually investing in this relationship? Am I really showing myself? Am I connecting to them, them themselves? And that enables me to go deeper and long to connect to the essence. That's the light that comes from the darkness. It enables me. So when I'm in the light state, I don't know that there's more to look for. I don't know that there's more to connect to because it seems light and it seems good. It's only through going through a period of darkness that I recognize that there's more here and that I actually dig and attempt to find the depths. And that's what happens to the soul. Souls in Ghana, it doesn't know that it obviously knows that there's more to God, but it doesn't feel a lack because it's in its environment. It's comfortable. It's in, it's, it's in a happy space. It requires that going underwater, holding your breath, feeling like I can't breathe, that causes me to seek out my source, that I need to I need to find my source, which is Hashem himself. And that's that bitle that you referred to before, Adas, of going into the mikvah. And that, that this does us is it makes me feel my complete lack of my independence. And that's when I seek out God himself. Um, okay. And we're going to go on. I'm going to skip this part inside. Um, okay, we're going to go on to discuss how it's specifically in the Nefesh of Bahamas that we're able to accomplish this. Because the Nefesh of Hamas is actually rooted in a very high level. The Nefesh of Hamas is rooted in the world of Taihu, which we um, will discuss in different Maimarim in this series. So I think we'll have a more in-depth discussion of that in other, in later Maimarim. So keep listening if you want to explore this idea more. But basically the idea is that there, Hashem created a world with intense energy but the vessels weren't able to contain the energy and the vessel shattered and that energy came into this world, this immense energy. And the energy that then was used to create our world is a much less lesser energy. So the energy from Taihu is much greater and the energy from Tikkun is, is much less intense. Our Nefesh Bahamis, our, God, our animal soul, is actually sourced in this level of Taihu, um, which is a much higher level. Um, and therefore, it's through the neshama coming down into the nefesh of Bahamas that it's able to access this greater energy and able to then transform, like we said, through eskafya and eshabcha, both through the subduing of the negativity, but also transforming those that energy, that, that, um, that neutral energy that has the power to be transformed into positivity, to transform that much greater energy into something positive, that's why the results are so much greater than if you stayed in heaven. Because we're actually accessing a much higher level than Ganita when we actually when we actually engage with the world of Taihu. And so just to we'll finish off the last little section inside. And this is what our rabbis teach us. It's better an hour in Chuva Mesentevim in this world and all of the life of Ayumhava. And this is why we call the, these waters Mayim Rabim, Main Nayach, the water of Nayach. They accomplish the ultimate um, peace. Shanasa Mehem Tevas Nayach, Shehubachinas Tevas Hatfila. 
Um, because how do we survive the marble? We survive the marble. We survive the waters by creating a teva. And what is the teva? The, it's explained in many places in the Hasidus that the teva is the words of Davni. And we explained how we actually get through these floodwaters through meditation during Davni. That's how we get through these. That's how we um, rise above the floodwaters is through the meditation during Davni. Um, and that's what brings us to the state of peace. Um, and that's what Kamashikasov Bayatel, a teva come into the teva, which has come into the world, were words of Dabna. And this is what it means that the waters rose up really high. Um, what is that, 500? Or is it just 50? I think 15, right? 15, okay. 15 Amma. Um, so the floodwaters rise really high. But afterwards, we have the advantage of the, of the light. How do we see that actually representing itself physically? And that's why we see that the water act, the teva actually rode on the top of the water, as boats do. <laughs> that the, so we have this image, right? There's the person. There's the naphtali kiss. And the floodwaters come rushing in. And they're submerging. They're stronger than the person. They're hiding the naphtali kiss. Right, and then you get it. You build your boat, which is your tefillah, where you have your meditation, and you go into the boat, and the boat then you rise even higher above the water. So that means that you're higher than you were previously. If the waters wouldn't come, you would still be on land. That means you'd be 15 amma lower, right? So the boat is elevated by the water, but you do need the safety of the boat. You do need the meditation. If not, you're getting, you're going to drown by the by the, you're going to be drowned by the water. So there's all these things working together to allow the, the soul to actually receive an aliyah from, from the water, from the waters. Um, specifically through the water, that our prayers are uplifted, and they go up even higher. And this is the mistake of people who are businessmen which I think in this case is, again, just referring to someone who, a businessman as opposed to someone who learns Torah all day. And I think just referring to anyone who feels like they're in the throes of physical life, physical living. Um, so we think, oh, I can't daven, right? I'm, I'm not able to pray um, as much, like the person who is learning Torah all day. But it's actually the opposite is true. So why might the businessman think I can't daven like the like the person who's sitting and learning all day? First of all, maybe he doesn't have as much time, the same amount of time that the yeshev ayal can dedicate to it. He doesn't have davening, like we mentioned earlier, as a meditative process. So I don't have as much current knowledge in my brain, like the person who is sitting and learning all day, I don't have the headspace, I'm busy, I'm worried, I'm distracted. So I can't, my davening is not the same as the person who is sitting and learning all day. But he's saying, no, it's the opposite. That it's specifically your davening coming from your darkness, rushing out of your job, rushing to the minion, or rushing from the minion to your job. It's in that space where you're actually able to achieve the highest level of davening because you're able to access that deepest feeling of desire to connect with God himself. And this is also why the waters of Neach are called the, the, this, this piece of spirit, which is like Shabbos, because this is when we rest from all our work. That the six days, six days of creation are from the level of Malchus, where Hashem is creating things. Again, creation um, begins in Malchus. So Hashem is creating things from Malchus through speech. Again, Malchus is connected to speech. 
And that's Hashem's work. And Shabbos is the resting from the work. And the level of calm, of peace. When the worlds are elevated. Like a person who rests from his work. And similarly is the case with someone who is busy with all these worries and anxieties of the of the world. When afterwards they're then able to focus on godliness through their davening, it's this calmness of spirit that comes over you. When you're able to connect post-work, when you're able to rest post-work, that's an extra level of calmness. It's an extra level of peace that you wouldn't have if you were just resting all the time, right? So if you're just, you know, if you're, you feel vacation a lot more when you were working hard. That's just the point, right? We feel the peace a lot more after the work. To summarize everything that we've said until now, we introduced this concept of the Mayim Rabin, of these floodwaters that cover up the, the fire of our connection with God. These floodwaters being representing, represented by the Mabel, um, being just all the worries, all the distractions that we have, all the things that come up in our minds that remove us from our connection with God. And we think that they are, that they are potentially diminishing and lessening our relationship with Hashem. But Mosmaimer is teaching us that it's not true, that through these distractions and through focusing on this darkness, this darkness allows us to achieve a level of bittle, to let go of ourselves and to recognize just like the, the how far we are from God. And through that farness allow us to long for a true connection and come to an even deeper relationship with Hashem. So even though before the soul comes down to earth, it has a connection with Hashem, that connection is a lot more superficial than the, than the relationship that we achieve through going through this darkness. And it's specifically through um, coming down to earth that a person is able to um, recognize the truth of Hashem and the essence of God is only first through coming down into the world and being distracted by all these things that that sort of come up and seem to detract from our relationship with Hashem. And sometimes it's specifically the feeling of distance that kindles the deepest connections. That that's I think really if we if we could summarize it that that when we recognize this feeling of distance, so when we recognize this this disconnect that um, is the catalyst for a much deeper and truer connection which is the concept of yafa sha'achas, that it's better one hour in this world um, from all of the life in Elam Haba. And this is represented by the Mabal. And we see that the Mabal, if you go into the Teva, which we explained, is tefillah, meditation. If we take the space to meditate on this and create that Teva for ourselves, then the floodwaters actually elevate us. They actually ride above them and they take us to higher space than we could have achieved without them. Nice. I think this mimer, like, it's the kind of thing that really becomes powerful when you have a personal example that you're living in. Um, like, the ideas can sound, I don't know, I just, from my experience, I feel like I learned the mimer in the yeah. past and it was like nice. And then I remember right. having this experience after I had my second baby and I had like a toddler and a newborn and like my life was very consumed by very physical tasks all day, mm -hmm. um, like feeding and diapering and changing and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I remember just like sitting down with this mimer and like every time I said Tirdus Harpanasa, I replaced it with like, in my mind, I just was like, replaced that, that those words with like, <laughs> Yeah, like taking yeah. care of like newborn mm -hmm. stuff, and and it was like really it was really moving because it was like this really powerful. Right. Well, on the one hand, it's like acknowledging that these things are consuming and they can you can drown in them. Like they're really, like right. it really just takes you over completely and you lose it's yourself. Very literal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then at the same time, just I think that that visual of the teva rising up above the waters is so powerful that like. But if I could like find a moment, and I think it's more about quality than quantity. Like if I could find a moment where I could like, I could just like tap into like all of this is not, is is like not like this is all meaningless compared to what life's really about and what truth is like the truth of Hashem really is. Um, 
but but this experience is bringing me to like a deeper realization of that like it's like if i'm able to like enter that teva then the waters not only do they not drown me they actually rise me up um yeah i think that visual could be like really powerful when you're actually in in the moment dealing with those um overwhelming tasks when you're feeling overloaded yeah yeah absolutely